0: Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M Lifeology. I am also very active on Instagram and create many videos with quick tips and tools that you can immediately implement. Be sure to say hello and follow me there. There are thousands of amazing self-help books out there, but what happens when you're struggling at the moment and need help now? Well, my new book, Life Lessons, You Are the Expert on Your Life, a workbook is your new go-to self-help book. I wrote it specifically for when you don't know how to overcome a challenge. Each chapter gives you a framework on how to tackle your situation. I help you focus on what already works for you. Your situation today may be different, but the emotions you're currently feeling, you felt them before, and you did something that helped you. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. This book is specifically written to help you overcome any obstacle you may face. Purchase your book, Life Lessons, You Are the Expert on Your Life, a workbook, on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. Once again, purchase Life Lessons, You Are the Expert on Your Life, a workbook, on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. My guest today is Jennifer Kramer Miller, who is a writer, speaker, wellness mentor, and gratitude advocate. In today's episode, Jennifer and I talk about a memoir, Incurable Optimist, Living with Illness and Chronic Hope, which shares how she managed uncertainty to create a beautiful life, and she shines a bright light on people who help others through difficult times, because sometimes it's the sorrows threatening to break us which ultimately unite us in hope. Welcome to Lifeology.
1: Thank you so much, James. I am delighted to be here with you today.
0: Well, I as well, with the last name, like Miller. I mean, you've got to be pretty good, I right? Know. <laughs> no, no, I kidding. know, we're
1: already just perfect pals. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> your uh, your publicist, Caitlin Hamilton, fantastic woman. Uh, I'd highly recommend her. She sent me your book. And I immediately was like, I need to know more about this because there's, you're like me, you know, you're, there's internal optimists there. And so at times it's, it can be hard to continue to have optimism when life happens. So walk right. us through this at age 22, you and yeah, everything was in front of you. The world was bright. And what happened?
1: Right. So um, 22, I was happy, healthy, normal girl, like normal, um, mm-hmm. had just graduated from college and I got a business degree and a psychology minor mm-hmm. and I lived Incredible. in Seattle, um, had this cute apartment with my best friend and all was going well. I was just ready to launch. And then I just woke up one day and my eyes felt puffy and I felt sort of tired Mm. and kind of out of it. And eventually I just went to a doctor thinking, okay, maybe I have a flu or a virus, something normal, something Mm. with a quick fix, like you always think you have. And I quickly learned that I had protein in my urine and there is no reason protein should be in your urine. That means you have Mm. kidney damage. So I was told that I needed to have a biopsy to find out the cause and extent of this mysterious out of the blue kidney damage. And at that point, when the biopsy word got thrown out, which scary word for a 22 year old, scary for anybody. But I just thought that must mean cancer. I had no idea what that was going to mean. My parents wanted me to come home and get the biopsy in Minneapolis. Because my dad, who is a custom home builder, built a house for a nephrologist. So he said, I Mm. I know Ah. Dr. Brown, let's get him on the case. So I did have the biopsy in Minneapolis and quickly heard two words I wish I had never heard, which were incurable and progressive. Mm. And I learned I had an autoimmune kidney disease that's very stubborn. And within six months, I had kidney failure.
0: Wow. Uh, I First off, thank you for sharing that. I, I can't imagine to have to, I'm sure you've told it many times, but I'm sure there's still some pain there that comes along with that. So I really want to honor that story. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. At 22, you, as you said, your life was, you're on top of the world. And, you know, for any of us, we could wake up with puffy eyes. I, I told you just recently, I had a viral infection and it knocked me, knocked me out for quite a while. And yeah. so I, I can't imagine, you know, for you to hear this incurable uh, progressive disease, what was that like for you to the journey real quickly as 22 and then within the six months or however long it was, all of a sudden your life completely changed. How did you, how did you navigate that?
1: You know, not that well. Like I was yeah, not, I, I was imagine. pretty depressed. I was not feeling like I wasn't feeling like an incurable optimist at that point in time. Yeah. Um, I felt a couple of things like I'd been ripped from my rightful place in the world, but I also felt maybe because I was so young, that somehow I would get out of this. I just, mm. I just thought. Okay. Well, denial. what I really thought is, I'll eventually have a transplant. I'll go back to my life in Seattle. So I was really operating mm. off the assumption this was temporary, not tragic.
0: Yeah. Okay, yeah, and I, I can see that because that's that's still. We look at the stages of grief. So the first one's denial. So I hear some denial in there, and I, and I've, I would be the same way, of course. But that—that that is that aspect of, yes, I'm young. There's There has to be, you know, something incurable doesn't literally mean incurable. It means for now. Yep. And I can see that. So how how was it for you, though, when it progressed and you realized it really wasn't?
1: Well, when that really happened was I did, I went on dialysis, which is not a great thing to be on, but it kept me alive. And I thought I'm going to get the transplant. So I eventually did get a transplant. It was a year and eight months on dialysis. Wow. And just for your year, listeners who might not know what dialysis is, it's an artificial kidney machine that keeps you alive when your kidneys don't yeah. work. It's the only way to survive. I heard it's but really painful, my, too. It's not. Well, you, there's some big needles involved yeah. and it has some crazy effects, but um, mm. it's not literally painful, but it's okay. kind of a painful way to live in a, yeah, an emotional sure. way. But when I did get that first transplant, I thought, OK, this is it. This is my train ride back mm. to my future. And it's really wonderful for three days. And then after the oh, third God. day, I had recurrence of FSGS, which is the name. It's a very long name. I'll give you FSGS instead sure. of focal segmental glomerular sclerosis. But it came back oh, after God. three days, recurrence. I didn't even know that was a possibility. And so at that point, I really got hit by a hammer knowing oh no, I'm not going to escape this. This is something I'm going to have to deal with forever. So yeah, go ahead and ask yeah. your question.
0: Well, Once again, as it's, I it's it's hear this, uh, I, when, you, when I heard you say the word three, I was saying, okay, like probably three years. But then to hear three days though, I, I can't imagine how quickly or how painful that was to have your hopes crushed so quickly.
1: Yeah, I really, I wrote in my book that, um, I couldn't handle the thought. So I had to just make the television screen in my head go blank. Like I just had to, mm. just, I it was so immense to think about that in a life journey kind of way that I just, I just had to go numb and allow myself. I was still in the hospital, you know, I wasn't even out of the hospital. Mm. So I was, you know, it was really, really a hard thing. And my nephrologist told me that, you know, he managed my expectations in a way that now I greatly appreciate because we're, we're three decades later, I'm in my fifties now, but, um, he told me that I should always regard a transplant as a vacation from dialysis. And the reason that that's helpful, I think for any patient who has kidney failure is you do have two modalities to stay alive. You're either going to be on dialysis or you're going to have a transplant. Those are your options. Mm and I just realized, okay, I'm going to appreciate every day I have with this transplant. I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know if it's six months or six years, but however long it is, I really owe it to the family that Mm. they had, you know, somebody in a family said yes to organ donation. And I was the person who received this kidney. So I realized, okay, I am here, I am alive. And I, I owe somebody this. Somebody gave me yeah. this great gift and I just, it's very confusing. I think that intersection of life and death when you're, mm-hmm. especially that I was 25 at that point, yeah. it just, I felt a sense of responsibility to make my life the best I could with the gift I'd been given.
0: I'm sure hearing that from the doctor, it, it probably didn't sound as, as like the best in bedside manner, but retrospectively, you know, obviously you understand that as you said, the intersection between life and death. So you had this grief of this is how life is going to be. But then all of a sudden that that transition of I have the responsibility. Was there a specific thought or a specific action or something that happened to make you find that switch?
1: Yeah, there was a couple of things. Um, I started to really pay attention to everything mm-hmm. that was going on. And like one time I remember I was at a theater with my mom and my brother seeing a movie. And I was, I think this was like, I was, in the midst of kidney failure at this point and it was a funny movie and I was laughing at the movie and I just really like took stock. I was like, you know, no matter what's going on, I can laugh. Like I love mm. that I'm laughing right now. Yeah. And so I started just appreciating the good things and I kind of developed what I call my lucky list. So mm. I would think, okay, yes, I am having medical problems, but I still have the ability to laugh and I still Mm -hmm. have my family and I still have my friends. And I really started to kind of curate the things I had that I felt lucky about. And then there was another really kind of instrumental moment for me when I was on dialysis and I was with patients who are mostly, you know, they're elderly patients. And I was like the young gal at dialysis and Eventually I tell people it was kind of like a medical version of cheers where I'd go in and everybody knows your <laughs> name. We had like surprisingly good camaraderie with this group yeah, of people very... who had to be there, but there yeah. was a very young technician. who he was, he's probably 33. His name was Tom and he was just the picture of health. and he helped all mm. these elderly patients and they loved him and I loved him. And one day I came in to the unit and everyone was sad and I didn't know what had happened. And I learned Tom had died the night before he had a brain aneurysm.
0: And I thought,
1: Oh my gosh, how could all of us have outlived Tom? He was so young and strong and healthy. And I really realized then I knew I was going to face a lot of uncertainty in my life, but I realized we all face uncertainty in our life. Like yeah. I wasn't that unusual. Like we're all in the same boat of being human. We have uncertainty. Mm. We don't know what's going to happen. And we really have to savor our lives when we have our lives. That really kind of yes. turned me around. Wow.
0: wow. I'm so sorry to hear that about Tom. I'm sure it was very surprising, as you said, it's the epitome of health. Um, but, but I want to go back to the aspect of you said you had your list. Um, so in psychology, we have what's called a dialectic. It's a fancy word that basically means two opposing things could exist at the same time, and they're both true. Yes. So, for example, you're very sad, but also you're laughing. You know, at the movie. So you're right. You're, that doesn't take away from the sadness; to detract from it. But you have both emotions, and you experience them one hundred percent, and both are true. And sometimes in life, we think it has to be this or that, um, and so we focus on one thing, not realizing the complexity of our life, of our emotions, of our thoughts. Yes. And so I'm really glad you didn't know the word, obviously, but if we're people who want to look it up, please do. It's called a dialectic. Uh, but for you, you are able to discover that. And I think that's one of the most important things we can do because it validates our situation. I'm hurting, I'm in pain, I feel lost, I feel scared, I feel lonely, and I can laugh, I can have joy, I can have peace, I can have all yeah. that as well. And I think once you really realize that and capture that in our mind and solidifies, then there are options for us
1: oh my gosh, I'm so much, I've so much learned that, like what you're saying, the dialectic, okay, you call it that. I, um, I really, in my terminology have discovered it as life is such a mix of beauty and bummers and there's beauty in the bummers. So, you know, I, I remember thinking about this a lot, just at the beginning of the year, when it's a new year, everyone's like, Last year was a bad year. This is going to be a mm-hmm, good know, year. Yeah. And I don't believe in good years and bad years yeah. and good days and bad days. I just think that it's all mixed together. Like every day I yeah. wake up, there might be beautiful things and there might be bummers within the same day and I'm just here to appreciate all of it because it yeah. means you're alive. You know, when you yes. when you've kind of been on the tightrope of uncertainty and wondering about your survival, um it's illness can be a portal to realizing how precious life is. And it's a difficult mm-hmm. portal to go down, but there yeah. are some realizations that you really gain from just being so happy to be here.
0: Yes. We're in today's episode. For those of you just joining, in, I'm speaking with Jennifer Kramer Miller, and we're talking about her book, Incurable Optimist, Living Hope with Illness and Chronic Hope. How did you, what happened for you? we were like, I, I need to write this memoir.
1: Well, a couple of things. I have a daughter And my daughter Liza was born after I had my second transplant and which was just an amazing set of circumstances in itself. Because again, somebody who checked a box at the DMV gave me the gift of life and then enabled me to create a life. So Mm, this kind of life keeps on this gift, keeps on giving. And Mm. I, um, wanted liza to know that she was a miracle there she is a yeah. miracle because my chances yeah. of getting pregnancy were not the same as somebody else's and having a pregnancy was amazing i would drive around in my car and think i'm pregnant i can't believe it <laughs>
0: That's <amazing>. and so <laughs> just
1: so. we had been through so much and i just thought what if i get hit by a bus and liza never knows what a miracle she is and how lucky we, we all are to be here together so I started writing and then something really lit my fire, which sounds funny, but I credit Ellen DeGeneres and Madonna for this Mm -hmm. because I heard them have a conversation where Madonna apparently encouraged Ellen to share her story when when Ellen was going to come out. And she told her that if you don't do it, nobody else ever can. It's just yours and it will leave this earth if you're not the one who tells it. And that just kind of planted a seed in my head and made me a little more urgent. Like, I have to get this on paper and I have to get this out. So combination of Liza, Ellen, and Madonna really got (laughs) me going.
0: (laughs) <laughs> I love that. For those of you who don't know the difference between a memoir and a, and a biography, is a memoir is a, a person when they write it, or an autobiography rather, uh, It's when the person writes it uh, today, but they write it with the retrospective learning and lesson, and kind of gives the, the the backstory of what was actually happening, as opposed to just doing a chronological order that a biography or autobiography would do. Right. When you when you wrote it, uh, what did you? Years later, what did you? What lessons did you? were coming out of it that you really rediscovered.
1: Well, you know, one of the things I found, especially working with a book coach, is Mm -hmm. I had to dig dig pretty deep. Like she advised me, you know, I was doing some drafts and she was going through them and she said, you've got to be uglier. And I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. What do you mean? And she said, you went through kidney failure at 22. That had to be hard. And we need to know how hard. And So I really had to dive in. Thank goodness I kept a lot of journals and kind of spilled a lot of emotions on paper, Mm -hmm. but it was, it was hard to go back in and like feel and smell and taste and see all the things, but it makes it a better memoir. And it was helpful for me to feel like, yeah, I did get through that. You know, I I've come out the other side. I don't, I still have this incurable disease. I live with it. It's never going to go away, but I do feel like I've reached a place where I can help other people who go through hard things. Mm -hmm. And, um, so some of it was really hard to write, but it felt really healing in a way. And hopefully I think it'll be healing for other people.
0: Yes. I want to talk about what you're doing now, but I want to kind of go back for a second when you wrote it and you had to literally relive the trauma and the, the pain was there a time you almost got lost in that pain again?
1: Um, While I was working on it, I did. Yeah. I would have to kind yeah. of sit with it for a little bit yeah. and just, but I, I didn't, I could get myself back out. I didn't like sink sure. into any kind of depression yeah. or anything. I just, mm-hmm. I kept it on the page, but there were times where I really had to just like, especially with my parents. I, I felt like what they went through with me now that I'm a parent, I, yeah. I kind of, had a different perspective of how hard that must've been for them Mm. at the time. And so just new perspectives over time. And um, yeah, I, I I went through sort of an emotional reckoning and was able to then come out of my office and carry on.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, we were able to compartmentalize it and keep it there in the past. The the other thing that I was, I was curious about is when, when you wrote it and, You are so far, you know, was it 30 years past it? Yeah. um, 30 plus years. Are you surprised at how far you've come? And all you've overcome?
1: I am. Like, I'm happy about it. I mean, I kind of wish that I could have read my book when I was 22. Mm. Because I want people who have any kind of incurable diagnosis or just a scary diagnosis, just, you know, stick with it. and, And chronic hope is in the subtitle of my book, I'm all about hope. I mean, what would we do without hope? Yeah, It's such a good fuel for carrying us forward. And so I just, um, yeah, I feel really lucky. Like somebody said I was the most lucky, unlucky person. I just, I don't take on the unlucky part. I'm not going to focus on that. I feel like I'm super lucky. And, um, I'm, yeah, I'm really excited how it all turned out.
0: Yeah. Well, there's always the reframe. Yes, you do. It's always the reframe as well. So when we think that we're unlucky, it's, it's really how you view a situation. Yeah. I mean, circumstances happen and of course it's not the best, but there's always a reframe. And I think if we get lost in the, the despair of something, we forget the reframe of, there are always lessons. And so I always tell people, my, my viewers and listeners hear this all the time, but every event in our life is like a jigsaw puzzle piece. And if we get stuck in that one jigsaw puzzle piece, we're like, where does this even fit in the big, in the grand scheme of things? We, we don't know. But if you wait a little bit longer and then the jigsaw puzzle piece meet, matches with another one or another one, and that's where we have the, the insight and the retrospective. In other words, looking back and say, ah, this makes sense. So in the moment, it doesn't make sense, but right. wait a little bit longer and you'll find the outcome and you have the opportunity to either live, like I said, in that despair or move forward in the direction that how you want your life to be.
1: Yeah. I had a distinctive moment where I remember. So I had the first transplant. I had had recurrence and I was really inspired by a quote by Joseph Campbell that we must be Mm. willing to let go of the life we've planned and accept the one that waits for us. I think that's, Mm. that's, Pretty close to the, wow. I really took that on, like I thought that makes so much sense i I felt like I was going backward, like I want to go back to Seattle, I want to go back to where mm. I was, and then I suddenly realized you know there could be despair or there can be hope. I wanted to choose yeah. hope, and then I started to move forward, and moving mm. forward is you know you go down the flow of the river, you can't fight the current, and so I think yeah. it's very surrendering to what is and Seeking acceptance really mm-hmm. makes a difference. I mean, yeah, I really learned that that's what I had to do. Yeah. One and of my favorite what quotes. Said,
0: about, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Well, I was going to say, too, what you said about the puzzle piece and getting stuck on yeah. things. I think sometimes we label ourselves in ways that yeah. aren't helpful. Like, yes. um, you know, I worked with a, a woman who actually had a brain tumor. And we talked about she labeled herself terminal she carried this Mm. label everywhere she went we worked on like let go of that label you're you're alive and you're with your kids and you're doing things and i feel like that too i don't walk around feeling like i wear an illness label or a Mm. chronic disease label i just don't think that's helpful so i think we have to be careful how we label ourselves and shed some of those labels that don't serve us
0: that's great a situation event does not define who we are unless we allow it to Yeah. Well, kind of piggybacking off what you said earlier. um, One of my favorite quotes is trouble is inevitable, but misery is optional. And so life is going to happen, but what do we do with it? Do we sit in the misery of it or do we find this is, or do we recognize these are the facts? This is what's happening. I can't change it, Well, what can I do about it?
1: Yeah. That's, I love that. I love that because the things that you can control, you have to control, Mm -hmm. you know, and so make your lucky list and figure out what you appreciate and, You know, there's a lot of triggers for happiness that we can work on. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, movement is one, like moving your body makes you feel Mm -hmm. better. I think connection is huge. I've learned so much about the value of other people because so many people have helped me. And, you know, there's a great study. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's the Harvard Study of Adult Development. And it was started in 1938, where they followed all these people and over the trajectory of their lives to see what was the measure of happiness that they could kind of ascertain as they went through their lives. And it really became like the number one thing they thought it might be wealth or career status or Mm -hmm. it was really close relationships. That's what they found. And that's intuitively so obvious to me. Like my relationships (laughs) are so wonderful. Like, what would we do without our people?
0: Yeah. Yes. And I think that's the problem. You know, through the pandemic, um, one of the major contributing factors why people are dying early is because of the loneliness and isolation. So during the pandemic, there was an uptick in obviously, besides the, the pandemic itself, but the loneliness aspect really contributes to. The mortality of people, and, and I don't think people really realize that connection is so important. Um, yeah. Finding your tribe—you know—we all heard that, but it's it's connecting with people. And so, sometimes when we get lost in despair, we we isolate. There's nothing wrong with taking time for yourself, but if that becomes a lifestyle, then unfortunately you're separating yourself. And as you said, the connections are so important. If you don't have that, then all you hear is that circular, looping thoughts over and over again of your despair. And so, the more you hear that, the more you believe it, and that becomes your truth.
1: Yeah, and I think that like one trigger of happiness is outward focus and service to other Mm -hmm. people. So I really suggest to anybody, if you're feeling lonely or kind of isolating yourself, or if you have anything going on that feels very hard in your life, which we all do like help somebody else reach out and get out of yourself to help somebody else. And it's amazing how you'll benefit that person and you benefit yourself as well. I think it's really helpful for us to connect with other people and, you know, like, like I just said, get outside of yourself.
0: Yes. Yes. Jennifer, thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity to speak with you, telling your story. Uh, once again, we honor your story. We honor your grief, your pain, but we also celebrate with you the optimism that you found and the, what you're giving back to others. Unfortunately, we weren't able to talk about that specifically, but if my viewers and listeners want to find out more information about you and to purchase your memoir, Incurable Optimist, Living with Illness and Chronic Hope, where will they find this information online?
1: Okay, great. So the best website to go to, um, is www dot incurable slash optimist.com. So um, you can find the book there. And then you can find out more information about me on my website, Jennifer Kramer Miller.com Kramer is with a C. And then also follow me on Instagram. We have a lot of fun on Instagram at Jennifer Kramer Miller.
0: Wonderful. My viewers and listeners also know that if you can't find this information any other place, simply go to the show notes at jamesmilleratlifology.com and I'll link with Jennifer Kramer Miller and her book, Incurable Optimist: Living with Illness and Chronic Hope. Jennifer, thank you once again for being a wonderful guest today.
1: Oh, James, thank you so much. I had so much fun talking to you.
0: I also want to thank you, my listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you join me today.